And welcome to Peekappy Podcast, your Pokemon anime podcast. What we like to do here is go through each episode of the Pokemon series, and we just took a bit of a side trip into Pokemon Chronicles to check in with Misty and see how things are going at the Cerulean Gym, and also got a bit of a look into Tracy's love life. Apparently, that's going well. That development came as a bit of a shock, but good for him. And now we're back to the main series where Ash Ketchum has just finished his third gym battle and is eagerly awaiting his next one. Before we get into that, a quick reminder that this show is brought to you by Poke Press, who I recently collaborated with for a special episode up on my Patreon about Movie 12, Arceus and the Jewel of Life, and talking about the ending themes for that movie in both English and Japanese, as well as the score in general and... How we feel that movie worked as the finale of a pseudo-trilogy. We also give just some general thoughts on the movie and how it, well it played for us. I think I had stronger feels about it at the time compared to Steven. But that's okay, because I think the next movie he has a slightly higher opinion of than I do. So it all balances out in the end. <laughs> but over on YouTube, Steven from Poke Press is unboxing the Future Connection single... It just came out in Japan. It's a DVD-CD combo. And if you're interested in that, maybe debating whether or not to have it shipped over for yourself, check that video out. As well as many other Pokemon-related videos up on that YouTube. As the name implies, PokePress, it involves a lot of Pokemon. You can also check them out at pokepress.blogspot.com can check that out right after listening to this advanced generation number 41. What you seed is what you get. And while it's a beautiful day, birds are chirping outside my window, I am excited to get back into Ash's journey, so let's do this. Our kids are in the city and they're trying to plan out the rest of their journey. They just want a gym battle. It's kind of a, a bit of a lull as they figure out where they're going to go next. Ash is wanting to go to Lava Ridge Town for his next gym battle, and May is wanting to go to Fall Arbor Town for her next contest. And that's a problem that uh, previously was unique to Hoenn, it's not so uncommon now, but two people in the traveling party actually have distinct and separate places they want to go, and different goals. Kind of reminds me of a few D&D campaigns where half of us wanted to ford the river and storm the castle, and the rest of us just wanted to go back to town and roleplay with the locals. But Max takes on the role of the GM today. He checks the Poke Navi and is able to mediate between the two trainers. Fall Arbor Town and Lava Ridge are right next to each other, so we can hit up both with no trouble. 
the team decides to hit Fall Arbor Town first because it's slightly closer, and May has an actual deadline with her contests. Never forget that. Um, and then they can swing up to Lava Ridge for a gym battle. Always remember, the gyms, they are stationary. They are not going anywhere. Barring special circumstances, they will be open any day that Ash chooses to arrive. May's contests, however, they are scheduled. If May chooses to come a different weekend, there will be no contest occurring. <laughs> That's kind of what makes contest battling such an interesting game and getting to be one of the people who got, who actually got five ribbons to go to the Grand Festival, like, like, again, I don't remember how many people actually make it to the Grand Festival, but at least eight people have to win five separate contests. That means there has to have been a minimum of 40 contests going on in the Hoenn region. Probably more, because let's face it, there were probably a few trainers out there who won, like, three contests, but didn't get five ribbons. So, yeah, on the one hand, there's probably contests going on all the freaking time in Hoenn. Like, it might not be entirely accurate to say if May comes back another weekend, there won't be a, a contest going on in Fall Arbor Town. It, it might have to host a couple different competitions just to feed the demand for the Grand Festival, but the fact still remains. If you actually want to be able to make it to the Grand Festival to get those five ruins, like... It is a competitive field. You have to you have to plan your journey. You have to hustle. And when you roll up to a contest, be prepared to win the thing. There is not a lot of room in this circuit for missing a deadline and second chances. Like just going over this region with a more analytical comb makes me appreciate what May had to go through just to make it to the finals. <laughs> Although the devious side of me wonders, like, how much of a code of honor exists among um, the people on the contest circuit? Because it strikes me, like, if you are a really good competitor, like, you know, the Tobias of contest battling, what if you just went to, like, every contest you could? Like, you've already got five ribbons, but you want to pull a Gary and get, like, ten, and just ensure that no one else makes it to the finals? Because it's not like gym battling where your success and your ability to get eight badges is only depending on you. You can't get a contest ribbon unless you win the contest. If you win a contest ribbon, nobody else got one. So if you win all the contests, whether you needed to enter them or not... You have now exerted a great deal of control over who even gets to show up at the Grand Festival. Like, and I'm sure that would be frowned upon by the contest community because, you know, Pokemon battling is all about fair play and and sportsmanship and, and being able to meet people and learn and grow from each other and all that. But there is an opportunity for some real Machiavellian manipulation of the system here. <laughs> Anyway, the point is we're going to Fall Arbor Town first, then Lava Ridge Town. Ash agrees to this, and all is once again well in the little group. So let's cut to Team Rocket, for whom things are not going so well. They're hungry, they've lost sight of the twerps, there are no Pokémon stolen in recent days. But then they come across a huge field of watermelon. 
ripe, perfectly round and shiny watermelon that's enough to raise anybody's mood, and it solves their hunger problem. So they grab a few, but then their eyes spy the mother of all watermelons. That thing's almost as tall as they are, and they're like, yeah, there's no way we could possibly eat all of it, and we've got four watermelons in our hands as we speak, but who cares? We need to steal that. Jesse tries, only to find... It's not a watermelon, it's an electrode, painted up like a watermelon. I guess it's serving as a scarecrow. It uses rollout to send these thieves blasting off. And along with Team Rocket, three of the stolen watermelon go flying and eventually land in a river. Those watermelons just bob down the river until they pass the twerps, who have just finished lunch and are in the mood for a little dessert. They fish out the fruit and slice it open. Watermelon. Nothing says summer like watermelon, and Ash, he's, he's spitting out the seeds and gets an idea for training. He calls out Trico and says, we're gonna work on bullet seed while stuffing our faces. This is probably a dream come true training scenario for Ash. Like, if only all sports training could happen like that, like, if I could land my axle jump while eating donuts, like, I would be in such heaven. <laughs> But it's kind of hilarious to watch Ash performing bullet seed with watermelon seeds, and I'm sure there's a moment where Trico's like, oh yeah, you're critiquing my technique, human? What do you know about doing bullet seed? Uh, but the two of them devour watermelon and work on this for a bit, uh, at least until a Grovile shows up to wreck their fun. Grovile is an evolved form of Trico, and this stranger is accompanied by a slugma. They both attack the kids, and we don't find out why until a green-haired girl calls off the attack. Yes, we've got another proud farmer on the scene, defending their crop, tracking down thieves, and taking names. Her name, by the way, is Natasha, the Melon Master. She grows the ripest, sweetest, juiciest watermelon in the area. She'd know one of her specimens anywhere, and she thinks she's caught the thieves red-handed. Nothing will convince her otherwise, until that electrode with the rad paint job bounces up, and it's like, yeah, no, not these guys. So Natasha apologizes. Turns out it's not the first time she's jumped to conclusions and accused an innocent party of thievery. Luckily, our heroes are the forgiving sort, and, you know, they did eat that watermelon without asking anybody. So Natasha is just happy they enjoyed her crop, and they can start to make friends now. Natasha offers to give them a tour of her watermelon patch, and she's really enthusiastic about her job, just like, it's a lot of work, and she's just, I love weeding! But it strikes me, like, it's a common joke in the fandom about these kids leaving home at a really young age and cutting out of school and all that, but when you think about all the people Ash has met, the hundreds of factories and farms and postal offices and etc. that he's toured, like, he's basically been on more field trips than I ever did in all my years of education. And he's had more hands-on work experience in a greater variety of jobs than I did before graduating high school. He's been to more regions and far-off places and study abroad than I have, like, We've established that Ash is really bad at math, and I don't see a lot of evidence that anyone's helping him drill his sums while on travel, but otherwise you can't argue that Ash is getting a really good education. He's met with enough career people 
from farmers to elite businessmen and helped them work. He knows about, like, business practices and security and workplace management and retail and crop rotation and photosynthesis and meteors and telescopes. And <laughs> he knows a bit about Pokemon care and medicine and such, thanks to so many interactions with Nurse Joy and even a little human medicine. And he has a basic concept of gardening down. He knows how postal systems work, fashion, glass making, window repair. Like, Ash is more well-rounded and educated and aware of how the world works and people working within it than a lot of people who've graduated high school and possibly more than some people that receive four-year degrees. And by the time he achieves that metaphorical master of Pokemon degree, he's basically getting a PhD in humanities and social studies. Anyway... In addition to growing watermelon, the enthusiastic Natasha also trains her Grovile and Slugma for battles, and they've not lost a double battle yet. Ash is willing to take those odds, so the two set up for a Pokemon battle. Against a Slugma, Ash plays the obvious card, sending out Corphish. Water-type, solid choice. What's not so obvious is sending out Trico to match Grovile. May and Max are like, what's he thinking? No way Trico's got a shot at winning. But Brock's been with Ash long enough. He knows what we know. Training opportunity. Who cares about winning? He's sending Trico out for the experience. Not because he thinks Trico's actually got a, a real chance. <laughs> but what better way to learn Bullet Seed and other advanced grass attacks than seeing your own evolved form use them? What better way to push yourself than to go against someone you know, that has all the same inherent strengths and weaknesses and is just further along the same path. Ash couldn't have planned this opportunity better if he'd tried. And early in the battle, Groval shows off that bullet seed attack, uh, using it not as an offensive move, but a defensive one to defend Slugma from Corfish's bubble beam. And a good show of teamwork on their part. Ash learns from this tactic, and when Slugma shoots Flamethrower at Trico, Ash has the Grass-type hide behind the Water-type. Corfish uses Harden, both Pokémon survive the blast. Unfortunately, Ash is forced to keep using this strategy and have Corfish use it for Flamethrower and Bullet Seed, so it's starting to really wear on Corfish. And Max is off on the sidelines like, Ash should try something different, and I'm like, yeah, what, Max? Like, I can't wait till he's a Pokemon trainer of his own and has a little peanut gallery of his own out there providing obvious and mostly unhelpful commentary on his every move. Like, see how long he can take it before he cracks. It just reminds me of that one time in Electric Tale of Pikachu, that manga where Misty's getting all in Ash's ears about his Orange League match and he just snaps at her so hard he breaks the intercom like, butt out, woman, and let me fight! Smash! Anyway, Team Rocket, they're back and they really want those watermelons. They, they just got to get rid of the electrode gardening the crop. And Meow suggests they give it to the boss. Like, can you imagine how happy he'd be? And I love James's response. Like, no, I can't imagine. What would Geo want with an electrode cosplaying as a watermelon? Cue the boss fantasy. Imagine, he's a, he, the boss is out on a mission in the desert and he's going to build a Team Rocket base in the middle of the sand dunes. Maybe. <laughs> and then as Meowth goes on, turns out it's not actually about stealing Pokemon, just the watermelon. 
And, and that makes more sense. Give the watermelon to the boss, like, duh, you don't need a whole desert mission thing. I bet G would be happy any day of the week to have a piece of watermelon. Team Rocket cheers and is all giddy with anticipation about how the boss would react, but I'm more focused on Electro's reaction because it's just sitting there watching these three making their plans and the look on its face. It's just, like, it doesn't even know what it's dealing with. What's with these weirdos? Just... Electrode can't even. <laughs> Speaking of can't even, that's the reaction everyone's having to Natasha's Grovile Slugma team. Ash has been observant throughout the match, and yeah, that teamwork is solid. He sees why she's never lost a double battle. And the shield trico behind Corfish strategy is, is just not effective anymore. Both Corfish and Trico take massive hits, and Ash decides to show Natasha some of his own combinations. Like this one, called Use Your Teammate as a Prop. Pretty sure that one was invented by Pikachu and Charizard. If not in one of their actual double battles, then, like, don't tell me the two of them weren't running some variation on this off-camera. But Corfish uses Crab Hammer to basically chuck Trico right at Grovile's face. And it is super effective. Crab Hammer quick attack to the jaw. Meanwhile, Corfish's Crab Hammer can keep going forward to whack Slugma, who is slow and has no one to defend it after chucking Trico at the other Pokemon. It's impressive, but once Grovile gets its feet back under it, it brings Solar Beam into play, and we're back to hiding behind Corfish. There's only so much of being a meat shield that Corfish can take, and when it finally goes head-to-head -head with Slugma, Flamethrower versus Bubble Beam, it's a double knockout. Both Pokémon are taken off the field, and only Trico and Grovile are left. But the battle is gonna have to pause, because Electrode bounces up like, Natasha, there's some lunatics over in the watermelon fields. I, I think we should call somebody. They're not well. <laughs> But yeah, Team Rocket's trying to harvest melons with their robo-cacnea, and the kids follow Natasha to chase them off. This robot, it, it ingests melons and then fires the seeds like a machine gun. That's counterproductive, but so brilliant, just like Team Rocket. It also has, like, a bazooka or something to shoot tape that covers its opponent's mouth so they can't fire their own bullet seeds, <laughs> like... Like, they thought of everything, considering Ash's Pokemon before this point did not know Bullet Seed. It hits Grovile, so Natasha's Pokemon is out of the running, so Ash takes the opportunity to train Trico, because, let's face it, it's a Team Rocket attack. Like, yeah, there's a little urgency, but come on, it's a low-risk battle here. Trico's first attempt at Bullet Seed fails, but Ash keeps encouraging it, and finally Trico launches a viable attack that shreds the rope on Robocacnea's watermelon basket, returning the rotund fruit to the waiting arms of Natasha and the other kids. Then Ash and Pikachu Thunderbolt Team Rocket and send them blasting off. After that, Grovile and Trico can return to their battle. Despite earlier success, Trico's not able to conjure up a bullet seed now and has to dodge Grovile's leaf blade. But we've been working on that pound attack, like, remember Trico had a whole diving off waterfalls crazy training to build up strength in its tail? That pound attack is a force to be reckoned with. And quick attack is pretty good too, so as long as Trico can keep dodging Senpai's attacks, it's in the clear. But of course its opponent wouldn't give it that advantage. 
The match finally comes down to two bullet seed attacks going head to head, and there's a beautiful moment where Trico realizes it's out of ammo and can't win this right before getting pummeled by the more powerful bullet seed attack. Uh, too bad for Trico, but not entirely unexpected, so another notch for Natasha. And given what we know of Trico, yeah, it's super ticked off about this. Trico hates losing. Ever. It's got some issues. It goes off to sulk, even while the rest of the kids in Pokemon have some sweet, sweet watermelon. Ash tries to be a good friend and trainer and goes over to engage Trico. He and Pikachu bring watermelon and start out by being kind and encouraging, like, you'll get Bullet Seed eventually, this is a learning experience, it's okay, I'm proud of you, don't feel bad. And Trico, being Trico, just, like, turns away, like, what do you know, Dad? Like, (laughs) super rude. (laughs) And Ash is like, okay, you want to be a bratty kid, I'll treat you like that. He and Pikachu take some bites of watermelon and start spitting seeds at the back of Trico's head. And oh my gosh, that face, Trico's face. This whole episode is worth it for that expression of, like, shocked, murderous rage. And Fury, it seems, is the right motivator to prompt a bullet seed, a proper bullet seed attack out of Trico. Ash is a little concerned by that, like, a Pokemon battle isn't the right motivation, but firing an attack at my head is? Like, what's with that, man? But Trico finally has a bit of its personal validation back, like, yeah, I can do Bullet Seed, not a failure. And and also, I think it does maybe regret hurting Ash a tad, like, did not actually mean to do that. But putting Ash in his place from time to time does seem to be an essential part of keeping a healthy relationship between the two. So, basically, Trico's fine. Ash will get over this in a minute and be fine too. The day will end on a high note, but... (laughs) Like, honestly, the best part of this episode, the point of it, is just seeing how Ash trains. Like, how he turns ordinary events, like eating watermelon into a training regime. How he uses battles to actually train Pokemon and get experience. I think that's something they weren't always sure how to show in some of the earlier seasons and it's something they kind of can't do in the games it's like you win the battle you get experience but the anime kind of allows us to kind of flush that out a little bit about what it means and here we can see Trico in a battle situation where Ash doesn't expect Trico to win really but how he can use that activity to build skill and then seeing how Ash interacts with other members of his team and to some degree, how Pikachu interacts with them, too. Like, that's really interesting and useful. And like I said, it just... You can tell that Trico respects Ash, and Trico trusts Ash. But like we saw when Trico was caught, and as it was, you know, doing its crazy solo training to build up its tail strength, it kind of goes against its nature as, a like, you know, a lone wolf, and I do everything myself, I don't depend on anyone, and no one depends on me to be vulnerable to a trainer, let alone a human, to accept somebody else's help, to accept that Ash is going to tell him no sometimes, and that Ash is going to put him in battles where he can't win, and that Ash is going to ask him to forfeit, or try to teach him things that are hard, and then Trico must now 
be humble so it can learn and be submissive to instruction and things like that. Like that's all that's all been difficult for Trico. That's part of its character arc as we've seen through a lot of episodes. And since that's a part of Trico's life where it's not especially uh going gently into that good night and and it's not always mature about having to do that. Like Trico's young as we saw in its debut episode and just by virtue of not being evolved, I think there is some of that, like, teenaged rebellion in it that, like, I don't even know if it necessarily consciously even knows it's doing it, but I think it does, like, just need to prove that it's superior to Ash for five seconds, okay? Like, every now and then it just needs to be right. Like, and yeah, I see Ash's concern, like, beating me up is is not okay, buddy. <laughs> but, but that little look on Trico's face when it's, like, first of all, really surprised that it knocked Ash back. And then, like, gets a little bit smug and turns away. Like, that little look tells me everything I need to know about Trico and its relationship to Ash. <laughs> like, it's a very telling little moment. But Trico will get better over time. It will mature and kind of settle into its role with Ash without so much antagonism, just as Ash will in time realize that that's what's going on with him and Trico, because I'm not entirely sure that he does yet. He's figured out that Trico's got problems with authority sometimes, and that while it explains Trico's behavior and there's a certain degree of sympathy, like most parents kind of tend to figure out how to deal with their teenagers, like, a couple years into the game. I think Ash is kind of observing behavior, but not always sure what it means and what to do about it. (laughs) So he will get better too. But like, yeah, like this episode just for me, just seeing characters interacting, like who cares about that watermelon plot? Like this is gold. Anyway, we will continue to have moments of gold along this bumpy road of Hoenn. It is one of the things I love about this season that Ash is so much more of a parental figure to his Pokemon than, you know, the best friend he was in certain other regions. Like, he's just settled into his role as trainer and authority figure and mentor, and really starting to own that in a way that he couldn't with the Kanto team because they because they saw him at his literal worst. And yeah, we're not taking you seriously, bud. We know you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> but... <laughs> But if you want to keep up with all of these adventures and character progressions, you can find the podcast at pcappypodcast.blogspot.com or on iTunes, Zune, or any of the other fine RSS catching services. You can find the show at Facebook and Twitter at pcappypodcast or send an email to pcappypodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening. I will talk to you next time. This has been Peek Happy Podcast. Gotta catch them all. 